There's still a little of our morning left. Thank you, Jesus. Um, all right, we are going to start this morning in Genesis chapter. Got to find it. 19. Front row considers every chapter of the Bible to be interesting. <laughs> interesting, interesting. I said John chapter 3, it'd also be interesting, interesting. <laughs> it's all interesting. You ready? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what your Holy Spirit is doing in our midst. We thank you, God, for how good you are to us and all that you do for us. And, um, the ways that you continue to teach us and love us and change us and transform us. And we thank you most of all for your presence in this room without which we would be very lost and, and very hopeless in this life. It's a great joy, Lord, to, to know you. A great privilege of our lives. And we pray that you would help us to enjoy the relationship that we have with you. And to celebrate it and to be grateful for it. And to spread it to so many others who have not tasted of what you freely offered to us. And we just pray, Lord, that you would help our hearts to be moved by uh, by the fact that we get to enjoy something that so many don't know anything about. And we pray that you would help us, God, to care. Thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done in us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. Genesis chapter 19. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Me too. For those of you that are not on teams, I feel like I should announce it because I'm excited about it. We're having a women's retreat in two weeks. And uh, those of you that come to this church uh, and call it your home church, you're very welcome to come. We'd love to have you. It's not just for our members. um, So you are very welcome to come and we would uh, love to have you. Um, So if you're not on teams, you may not have heard yet, um, which I wanted to make sure that you that you have now heard. 
and now is your responsibility to respond. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you if you like more information, um, Lily or Carolyn or just about any other woman in this church can help you. Um, all right. But yeah, so we'd love to have you. That's in, that's in two weeks. Okay, ready? Genesis 19. Let's see, where should we start? Starting in verse 15. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life, do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley except to the hills. Or sorry, escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant is if behold, your servant is found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my life shall be saved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Um, let me know that uh, you, you're familiar with this story, I'm, I'm assuming. If you're not, that's okay. Um, it's first time for everything. Um, well, hopefully not everything, but um, it's first time for, for yeah, for, for this. So the Lord is determined to, to judge Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin, right? But the Lord had decided to save Lot, which um, sounds like a fairly straightforward operation. You go in there, you grab the guy, and you get out. You, you, actually, it should be easier than that. You go in, you tell the guy, you know, glowing angel and all, hey, this city's going to be set on fire. You should really get out. And the normal response would be for Lot to leave. I say that's the normal response because that's what you and I would do. It also seems to be what normal humans do. Like when there's a hurricane bearing down on New Orleans, I mean, you know, it's just people try to leave. Like that's, that, it seems to me that that's natural when disaster is, is, is impending or, you know, even if it's not a certain disaster. I mean, just look at what happens to Florida highways, you know, when, during hurricane season. Like it's like, that's natural, right? Okay, but the Bible says that, that Lot um, lingered, that he was unwilling to leave. And it's not an accusation of the fact that he's a sinner. If he were a sinner the way that everybody else in Sodom and Gomorrah were sinners, God would not have saved him. But he was still attached to Sodom and Gomorrah because of the life that he had there. And the fact that that was all he knew. That was, those were, they were sinners, but they were his friends, you know? And so he lingered so long that the angels just got tired of him. And the Bible says that they seized him. I don't know what it's like to be seized by an angel. Probably terrifying. And they literally seized him and his family and they threw him out of the city. And they said, just go to the hills, you know. But, um, but and Lot is so funny. He doesn't want to be alone. And so he doesn't want to escape to the hills. He wants to escape to a little city. So he points to the city and the Zohar, which evidently Zohar has as many problems as Sodom and Gomorrah does. And he says, can I go to that city? You know, I know you're going to destroy this one, but you're destroying this one because it's a big one, right? That one's a small one. Big sin, small sin, big sin, small sin. I mean, they're all sinners, but it doesn't, you know, he thinks that the fact that it's small means that God's not going to do anything. But it's not God, so the angel's like, okay, whatever, just, just go. It's just, okay, just, just fine. Fine, fine, fine. You have to live with other people. Fine, go. And, um, and, and, and so he does. 
in verse 23, um, the sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zor, and the Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities which grew on the ground. But Lot's wife behind him looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. When Jesus talks about um, uh, um, what is to come, the end times, it's one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and, he, and, he, and he's talking to them, to the disciples, about what is to come, right? Matthew 24, I think, maybe 25. And he says, remember Lot's wife. And he's talking about this moment right here. This is the, literally the only thing that Lot's wife does in the entire Bible. Like, this is, this is it. God is trying to save her out of the, this, the world that she's a part of, but she being so attached to that world looks back. And because she looks back, she suffers the same fate that they do. Um, the reason that this is, in, well, there's so many reasons why this is interesting. Um, but one of them is, you remember when, when Jesus um, said that he who sets his hand to the plow and looks back is not worthy of the kingdom of heaven? And that's a very interesting um, thing for him to say. And the reason that it's interesting for him to say it is, well, there's lots of reasons, right? One is just the natural implication is that God does not allow or accept that you would put one foot into two different worlds, the world that he's provided for you and the life that you used to have. Do you know? But there's a lot of people that when they come into the kingdom of God want, in fact, they're quite proud of who they used to be. You know, I'm a Christian, but I'm gay. Well, you're not allowed to be. Because you're not allowed to look back at Sodom and Gomorrah and, and wish for the life that you used to have. It doesn't work that way. But the second reason that it's interesting, that, that you already knew that. You're like, yeah, two feet in, yay, you know. But the second reason that it, it's, it's really interesting is because if you simply take something, in this case, relationship, which is what we're going to talk about this morning. You didn't say that coming. It's a relationship. If you simply take the relationships that people used to have in their life out of their life and you don't replace it with something else, um, usually bad things happen, which is a story of Lot. Which is a story of Lot. Verse 30. Now Lot went out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters, and the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night. And the firstborn went in and lay with their father, and he, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also, and you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger rose and lay with him, and did not know when she lay down or when she arose. And Thus, both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab, and he is the father of Moab as to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami, and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Um, this is very interesting, because if you take somebody out of one set of relationships that they have, even if they're bad relationships, you don't give them another set of relationships. Um, it's very interesting what happens to people in loneliness. 
Do you remember when God made Adam? When God made Adam, God set him in the garden, and he said, the first thing he did is he gave him instruction. He said, all the trees of the garden you can eat, except what? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one, all right? Like, just, but everything else you can enjoy. So here's your calling, so to speak. You know, the, the, the mandate, the mission, the, the vision of your life. And what is the, like, what is like the literal next thing that God says? Not good for man to be alone. Do you know? He gives him purpose and then he says, but don't be alone. And he, God solves a problem for Adam that Adam doesn't even know that he has. Now, Adam is not technically alone. Like in the sense that he's walking with God. He's not technically alone in the sense that there is a world, a very rich, beautiful world that he's a part of with birds and deer and bears and snakes and mangoes. One is not alone in a, in a field of mangoes. But, but there was something in him that, that, that he knew, that God knew that Adam was alone, even though he was surrounded by lots of stuff, even stuff that's alive, even God himself. But he still knew that he was alone. And, uh, and, and so God solved the problem of his aloneness, right, by creating Eve. In James chapter one, very famously, you all know this verse, so I'm gonna quote it to you anyway. Pure and undefiled religion is this, to no, care for is um, the, what some people, but the ESV actually, I think, renders it correctly, to visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to be unstained from the world. Okay, I may have paraphrased that. Actually, well, Janet pulled it up. This is, this is difficult because Janet's so fast that if I like misquote a verse, you guys will be like, you didn't quote that correctly. Janet's so fast. Okay, it's terrible. Next time, I'm not going to tell you where it is. Oh, no, but you have Google. So then that doesn't even work. Okay. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The verb is really important because if you think that pure and undefiled religion is taking care of orphans and widows because they are poor or because they need your help, you've missed the point. It's much worse to be lonely than it is to be poor. That was free. That was free. Did we charge anybody for this? No, it's all free. It's much worse to be lonely than it is to be poor. Much worse. And one of God's graces actually for people is that you can, just about anybody can find community if they choose to. Criminals find community. Some of the best communities, if you go to one of those churches where every year the vision is either identity or community. This is all you're busy building. What you should really do instead of going to churches, go to a prison or, or a gang or a cartel because those guys know community. You want community. The Italian mafia in Jersey knows community. Put your Bible away and go learn from them. They, I mean, they know community. They are like, they're very, you can find community anywhere. But what, what, but James 
is very interesting, right? Because if James is correct and you can reduce all of religion, all of Christianity down to like these two things, number one, be righteous. Like don't involve yourself in the world, like be right before God. And number two, solve the problem of loneliness for people who are most likely to be low. I mean, it's a very, it's a very significant simplification of like your goal in life, right? Number one, like don't, don't get involved in the world. And number two, solve the problem of loneliness for other people. And the reason is that loneliness in and of itself is such a corrupting force. Lot was not a bad man. And he ended up impregnating both of his daughters. And the, the reason for that is because God allowed him to go live in that little city, Zoar. But the Bible says that he was afraid. He was afraid to walk in the relationships because they weren't perfect, because those weren't great people, because maybe there was something intimidating about them. And he was afraid of the relationships that he could have, so he chose to not have relationships at all. And because he had no relationship at all, he became corrupted by loneliness itself. What did his daughters in was not that they were lustful. It was not that they were, do you understand? The Bible very squarely puts the blame on the fact that they were alone, not, nothing else. It wasn't that they were bad people. It wasn't that they watched too much Netflix. It wasn't that they were just prone to incest, none of that. The Bible puts this blame very squarely on the fact, the very simple fact that they were alone. It was that simple. And because they were alone, Lot and his entire legacy was destroyed simply because they were alone. If you want to discover a, if, if you want to figure out how you can move from believing in, you know, in good, solid, God, truthy, gospel, just, you know, yay, to being, um, you know, believing in all sorts of nonsense, it's very easy. Take someone who loves God and knows everything there is to know about the Bible and then leave him alone for 40 or 50 years and see what he believes at the end of it. It happens often to churches in closed nations that are isolated from other churches. And those people are not bad. They're great. They love God. I mean, sacrifice their lives, all sorts of things. But if you go to the underground church in China today, you find all sorts of, all, I mean, I mean, listen, y'all. You want to find, you want to find like theological nonsense? You go to a place where people don't talk to each other because they're not allowed to talk to each other. The government doesn't allow it. And to save the, their lives, they just get a little huddle, you know, the, you know it could, like just, just them, no influence the outside world. And, and just watch the, 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 bad, the most ridiculous doctrine, the most ridiculous beliefs, the most cultish behavior comes out of isolation. You take a group of people and you leave them alone. You don't let anybody, no, nobody in, nobody out. I mean, they will believe in the most ridiculous things after 10 or 20 years. And it's not, nothing about them being bad people. It has everything to do with being alone. God has created everything to be connected. You know this. 
there's no ecosystem that works without some, the point of an ecosystem is that there is an exchange between different things. Everybody contributes something different, you know? The grass is eaten by the deer, the deer is eaten by the wolf. Like, you know, the wolf, is, is the wolf an apex predator? I'm not even sure. The wolf is shot by people. Like, it's just, there's, 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 it's all, you know, the moss, the beaver. Like, every, every, everything has a purpose. It's all, like, it, it's all, it all works together. There's, there's, there's not a single person in the world that does well when they are alone. There's not a single person in the world that does well when they are alone. One of our missions in life, one of our, the, the really important purposes, um, and I'm going to get to some other stuff in a moment here. No, one of the really important purposes in life is to realize, 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 so we're not one of those churches like, it's all about relationship, y'all. Let's just sit around and, you know, like just gaze into each other's eyes. It's not, it's not that. Actually, I think that is a, a, um, a very significant distortion of what relationship is. If God was completely content with sitting around and gazing into each other's eyes, he would never have created the world. Because he had that, the workless, nothing to do sort of relationship with, with the Son and the Holy Spirit and all of eternity. And he created time and space and us because it, gives, it provides a space for interaction. He could have also done that for us. He could have created us in such a way that we don't need to do anything. There's nothing to do. There's nothing to, to care about. There's nothing. We just exist in this metaverse. <laughs> you know, this, this space where people just exist. You know, they just, they just, you just exist. And some people imagine this is what heaven is. When you get to heaven, what do you do? You sit around on pillows and play harps and, you know, and talk all day um, and, and, and eat and without growing fat. You know, like it's just, you just eat and you just, and you just eat and you play your harp and you find a cloud and then you just, no! In heaven, you'll work harder than you ever, you think you work hard on this earth, you have no idea. You think college was hard. It's because that's not the essence of a fulfilling relationship, actually. Relationship requires something more than just sitting and gazing into each other's eyes. It requires a, a context in life, which uh, um, I'll, t- I'll talk to you, like, let's just talk about that in a moment. And, 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 and you need that. You actually need that in order to exist. Does that make sense? All right. Point number one. Ooh, points. Loneliness, bad. Relationship, good. Malachi chapter one. Malachi is one of my favorite books. I'm trying to think of all the other books that I call my favorite books. This is very difficult. Okay, but it's true. It's one of my favorite books. Okay, Malachi is about, um, to, 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 to put it in one sentence, Malachi is about people's misunderstanding of God and their mistreatment of God. That's why it's one of my favorite books. There's not too many places in the Bible where God talks about himself, his feelings, his experience. There's Jeremiah, there's Malachi. A lot of the Bible is God talking to you about you. 
about him, him relating to you, things that he says to you, in his encouragement of you, stories that he tells about his interaction with you. But in Malachi and in Jeremiah, and there's a few other places uh, that I'm thinking of, um, I gotta think harder about this, there's probably more places, but like God talks about himself in Malachi. He talks about his own feelings, he talks about his own experience, he talks about what he wants. And more importantly, he talks about how you misunderstand him. Because what happens in Malachi is that God says, yada, 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 and then God says, but you say. And then it says something different. And the phrase, but you say, appears in Malachi, I think, 10 or 12 times. The entire book is that. The entire book is God says, this is what is true. And then he says, but you say. And then he says, and then, and then what, there's a, 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 a religious distortion of that. And God is settling scores. When he's setting the score of the difference between what is true, what he says, and what you say about him or about life. Yeah. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Do, 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 do you see? Like, this is the whole book. Like, this is why I love it. Yes. Okay. God says, I've loved you. That's true. We know that to be true. Do you know that to be true? Okay. So that was a, not a very difficult question, but... I loved you, says the Lord. But you say, how have you loved us? Sound familiar? God, prove your love for me. I don't know that you loved me. It, like, does that sound familiar? And then God says this. Now, this is a very interesting, it's a very interesting proof of God's love. Like, it, it's very interesting to me that God would use this because there's lots of things that God could point to, you know? But it's very interesting to me that God uses this particular line of argument. He says, is not Esau Jacob's brother? Declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Esau, uh, love Jacob, but Esau I've hated. What's God's, what is the proof of God's love for you? That he favors you. That he favors you. That he blesses you. That he chooses you. That he doesn't treat you the same that he treats everybody else. And God says, don't you realize? Haven't you seen? When you go through life, don't you appreciate that Esau and Jacob have not treated the same? That I've done for you things I haven't done for him? He wants to succeed. I, like, you know, I, I, I destroy him. But, like, but, but you, everywhere you turn to prosper you, don't you realize what, what, what a great blessing you have. What, don't you realize that like, whenever you cry out to me and you're sick and I, I heal you and when you're lonely, I give you friends. When you need a job, I give you one. When you need a place to live, you find one. Like, don't you realize that, like, that there is favor upon your life? Are you so blind? Are you so blind to your favor that you say, I'm not, I'm not loved by God. I need God to prove to me that he loves me. And God says, I've been proving to you by the way that I've been treating you your life. And I call it a very interesting line of proof because it amazes me, honestly, it amazes me. This is not what I would have chosen if I were God. So if I were God, I'd just be, I am the Lord. I speak all things true. You believe me or die. Like, you know, it's just, this is why I'm not God. And, you know, I was just like, it's, we, let's all be glad that none of us are God. But it's, it's, it's just like God, you know, like when we doubt his love, he actually gives us something to look at. Look at your life and how you have been treated versus others. 
Is it not true that without his favor, not without his grace, his, his grace is common. Like everybody gets a taste of his grace. But it's not true that without his favor, you know, favor is the things that you get that other people don't get. Other people, when they speed, run into a tree and die. But you just get a ticket. Like, like, you know, like sometimes you look at the world and you think of all, you look at all the terrible things that could happen, that should happen, because they happen to other people and they don't happen to you. And you get fearful because those things could happen to you. Instead of realizing that God favors you and he's put a wall of protection around you. And that's the proof of his love. And rather than taking the opportunity to see how your life has turned out differently from other people's life as an indication that God loves you, you take it as an opportunity to be afraid of what could happen to you. It's pretty incredible to me that nobody in this church has gotten laid off yet. Even though we have an overweight of tech people, somebody, sooner or later, should really get, you know, from one of these big companies here. So that's just, that's just how statistics works. But it's not how statistics works because he loves you and he shows you favor. And it's incumbent on us when we receive that favor to learn the lesson that we're supposed to learn from it, which is what? Yeah, God loves me. I'm sometimes amazed that somebody manages to find a job. I'm going to tell you, I, so I'm, I'm amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm just, I, mean, I expect it because I, I know that he's good. But I'm amazed. I'm like, wow, if I were, anyways, not going to go down that road. I have laid waste his hill country, that's Esau. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. But Edom says, we are shattered and we will rebuild the ruins. The Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down. They will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. His own eyes shall see this and you shall say, great is the Lord beyond the borders of Israel. It's pretty incredible what God is saying. God is saying, you know all those other people out there, the ones that I don't favor, that like every time I, I, I judge them, they say, ah, oh, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll rebuild. God says, you can rebuild, but I'm going to tear you down again. It's very interesting. It's not that God doesn't let them do anything. It's just that nothing they do will be permanent. And the memory of them, the heritage, the legacy they, live, they leave behind will be like, oh, he says, you know, we left to jackals, which is essentially nothing, which is, is garbage. But all the things that you do have eternal res as resonance. They're valuable and precious and will be remembered forever. That's favor, y'all. It's favor that, that the, the small things that you do are remembered forever and the great things that other people do will, be, will come and go with this age. It's favor. Do you know? It's pretty incredible. Okay, now we'll get to the verse I actually wanted to get to. Two through five, that was free. Listen, this is the part that I want to get to. I've been, I was thinking about this like for the last week or so. I can't shake it out of my mind. All right, here we go. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If then I am a master, where is my fear? 
says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, have we despised your name? By offering polluted food on my altar, but you say, have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present your, that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? Says the Lord of hosts. Let me just read this and then we'll come back and talk about it. And now entreat the favor of the Lord that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you? Says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that there were some among you who shut the door that you may not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to the setting... Um, to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name with a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts, but you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted and its fruits, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what weariness is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or is sick, and you bring it as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows that he sacrifices to the Lord with his blemish. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Here's the point that God is trying to make, and it's an interesting point. Okay, the first point, the most obvious point that he's making is this, right? Offer to God something that is good. But there's actually something that's a little bit, this is what I've been thinking about this week, because like, there's something that I think is a little bit deeper than that. And it's the way that God starts this. Ultimately, when you read the passage, the body of the passage deals with the fact that the offering that people are offering are just not good. It's just, it's just not good. You're not giving God your best. And he has a problem with that. I and mean, he has a right to have a problem with that, because he deserves your best. Yeah? Okay. So, Okay, the, the, the amen there was really quite quiet, except on Janet's part. Thank you, Janet. Like, he deserves our best, and we should offer him our best. Like, that, like, yes, 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 good. But there's something else to this that, like, that, that it's just, and it's the way that God, he says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Mm-hmm. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? How often do we call God our father, but yet don't relate to him as a father? And the relationship that we have to him as a father is a very shallow, it's a very shallow one. It's a, just, it's a very shallow one. And what I hear, if you just bear with me here for a moment, what I hear God saying out of this is that he doesn't want you to just call him a father. He wants to be treated as a father. And the, the issue that he takes with the bad offering that we give him is that we are not relating to him correctly as a, as a father. That, that, look, there's no father that sets rules for a son, Right? All fathers set rules for their sons, just like God sets rules for his people like us. But the point is not that the son would obey the rules and be like, yes, sir, check that off, because that doesn't actually create very much relationship. There's not very much relationship that happens when you create a rule and somebody else follows it, or when someone else creates a rule and you follow it. Like that doesn't, that doesn't really create relationship, does it? And if God, if all God wanted out of us was for him to create a rule and for us to follow it, then he wouldn't want to be called a father. Or, like, he would just be 
it'd be enough for him to be Lord or King or something else. But he wants to be a father, right? He wants to be a father he wants, and, uh, with a son, right? And that's very different. There's no father that has a son that is fulfilled in the son just being like, yes, sir, I'll do this, I'll do that. But he wants something else. He wants something that is, is, is different from just rule following. And then you get to like what God is saying about, about, the, about the offering business, right? Which is that they despise him so much, they despise him that they don't even bother following the rules that he set forth because they're not there in, in their heart. They're not honoring him because they're not honoring him in their heart. The, like, the, 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 the laws that he established for him, they're not keeping. And God blames the religious leaders. He blames the priests. He just, he's not talking to the people here. He's blaming the priests. And he says, the reason you priests is because... You are telling people that it is okay for them to not obey my laws and to bring an offering that's just like, okay, it's not like the best. You just like bring God something. And God doesn't notice, God doesn't care, like, you know, sort of attitude about it. But God does notice and God does care and God wants a great offering from us. And the re- but the reason that what it goes back to is that God wants to be a father to a son and you cannot have that kind of relationship with God if you don't honor him appropriately. You're just out to follow the rules. It's always, do you know that like we, are, we value relationship, but very few of us have it. The greatest pandemic in this city is not COVID, it's loneliness. It's the absence of meaningful relationships. We're all in this world, we're all about like relationships. Especially in the church, we're all about like relationships, but but. And yet, and yet, and yet, and yet, loneliness continues to be, I think, the, the primary struggle in just about everybody's life. And the reason is because we don't know how to actually develop great relationships. And we pretend to have relationships that are deep, but they're really not. And the shallowness of them comes out all the time. You ever been to a wedding? Weddings are very interesting. Sorry, let me... Let me finish the, the, I just put a pause on that sentence. Let me finish that sentence in a moment. I know you've been to a wedding. Some of you, most of you, the ones you're old enough to have friends that got married. Have you ever been to, okay, so at a wedding, right, the bride and the groom usually, in most weddings, invite people to come up and, and, to, and to say things about them, right? Okay. Have you ever sat there listening to, to like one, and these are, the, like, you only choose a few people to do this. It's not like, not everybody gets a chance to do this. Like, you, you only choose a few people to do this. And you choose the people that are supposed to have the most meaningful relationships with you, right? That's, that's who you choose. And, you know, because of, of, of social rules, I, you know, if you are, uh, if you have brothers or sisters, you're supposed to have your siblings and things like that. And so sometimes you feel forced to have your siblings, even though you may not have a great relationship with them. You have to pretend, you know, just for the sake of everybody else, that you are a happy family just for that day. But then, you know, usually you get to invite like one or two of your best friends, you know, people that have like known you forever. And if you listen to like, one of those things and you go, wow, I feel so bad for like for the person being talked about, like if this is the best friend you have, because sometimes people get up there and they talk about, you know, that one time, you know, you know, the best man in the, in the room, they went and they stole a keg and they like drank it in the backyard or something. And it's like, ha ha ha. Yeah. What a fun guy this is. And I'm like, if this is the greatest relationship you have, how sad, how lonely must you be? How lonely must you be? Well, I've, I mean, I've, I mean, I've, you know, I've done some weddings, I've attended some, and, I, and then it's so sad. Or, or funerals is the same way. 
I've watched a good number of funerals of, of, of famous people. I like watching funerals of famous people because I want to hear what it is that has come out of their life. And very often the eulogies are from, from other famous people. I'm going to talk about, oh, you know, they won this Academy Award. They won that, you know, published a seminal paper, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. The guy's dead. And very often there's nobody that gets up there and, and, and talks about the person in such a way that you know that they actually had relationships in life. I remember when George Bush, the H.W. Bush, the 40, President 41, died, and his sons, both of them, George W. and Jeb, and uh, along with other family members, but they, I, I remember them too specifically. They came up and they gave these, these eulogies of their dad that were just so deep and moving. And I was like, well, this is unexpectedly awesome. Like, this is like incredible. Oh, oh Jesus. <laughs> This is unexpectedly awesome because, like, you know, I mean, their dad was so accomplished. He was like a Navy pilot and he was a CIA head of the CIA, vice president, president, diplomat, businessman, blah, 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 widely respected. Blah, blah. And lots of, lots of, you know, former presidents there and a bunch of, and then, I mean, the, the, the two guys are like crying about their dog. Dad, he was such a great dad, blah, 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 and his dog, and the whole thing. Like, it was just, I was like, and they're, then they're, the granddaughters get up and talk about what a great grandfather he was. And this is like, this is, this is incredible. This guy is a famous guy. The people in his life have something to say about him other than what he accomplished in life. So that's really cheap. I'm really sad when I go to like some of my friends' weddings and like people get up and they give toasts and I'm like, Lord, I am so sorry that this is what you think a good friendship is two guys playing StarCraft together every week for seven years. I mean, it's just like, Jesus, is that, is that really? I mean, is that what we consider a best friend to be in this life? Know nothing about them, but hey, you know all those times playing StarCraft. May we still play more after you get married. May your wife let you continue to come to these StarCraft-y things. God's complaint. His complaint is that he's got this people that he's loved and he showed favor to and he's blessed and he's done everything for, but they don't treat him the way that he deserves to be treated. They're not intimate with him in the way that he desires to be intimate. He says, listen, y'all, even a son treats his father a certain way and even a servant treats his master a certain way. Look at how you treat me. And the issue that he has is not with the goats and the sheep. and the, He doesn't give two flips about sheep. But they are a sign that his people have not offered to him the relationship that he wants with them. Do you know? Imagine that you had an outreach program where you handed out soup to people that needed food in the neighborhood. And you do this you know, every morning, every, every, every Saturday morning or something, whatever. At the crack of dawn, I mean, it takes a while to make good soup. At the crack of dawn, you're getting up, you're chopping vegetables, you're you know, slicing carrots, the whole thing. You know, you got in there and you, then you, you know, it's hot, you get it into your van, you bring it to the park and you just, you hand out soup, you know. And you're just, you're glad to do it because it's the 
ministry that God has given you to do. And there are some people that know you have a reputation now, and they, they come every week, and they take their soup, and, uh, and, 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 and then they you know, say, come, and they say, they're, they're polite. You know, they say, thank you for your soup, say, thank you for the soup, and then they take it, and they go back home. And they enjoy their soup. And then there's other people that they come in and they say, oh, thank you for the soup. And then they sit down and they have a conversation with you while they're enjoying their soup. Which, everybody's benefited from your soup. Yeah? Everybody's been blessed by God. Now which is more fulfilling to you. What is the, what, what to you as a person providing this soup, what gives you joy? Does the person who comes and takes your soup and just goes back to their house and continues to watch their Saturday morning football, does that person give you any joy at all? Is there, is there anything, have you received anything from that? Is there anything that you've gotten from it? And it's the same for those of us who continue to receive from God, but do not offer him a relationship in return. What God is looking for from us is not our service, although that is, can be a part of relationship. What he's looking for from us is relationship. That's what he wants. What he wants from all the blessing and all the stuff and all the words and the dreams, and it's not for you to go out there and brag about what a great dreamer you are. It's just a, it's just a relationship is what he wants. He wants to be treated like at least as well as you treat a friend. He wants to be treated at least as well as you would treat a father. He doesn't want the sort of shallow relationship that you and I have with other people where when they get married, we say, well, he bakes a nice cake. Like, it's, it's not, that, that's not enough for God. And it's just the same where it's like when it's your turn to, to, to give a testimony about him, you're like, well, I was going to go to hell, but now I'm going to heaven. It, it, yes, you've accepted his gift. Yes, you've accepted his gift. And yes, he gave it freely, and it was his joy to give it to you freely. But there's something about that that's not very satisfying for God. Just like it's not very satisfying for you. When you give something away to people that it's, it's, see, what you're looking for in return is not that they would give you, when you give somebody $10, you're not looking for them to give you $10 back. You're looking, you want for them to want a connection with you. That's what you're looking for. That's what everybody's looking for when they offer stuff. It's the type of gratitude that is more rich than saying thanks. I don't care about hearing thanks. I'm talking about me. I'm just generically, I, I generically, not me, I, not, not I, Daniel, I generically. We're not care about somebody saying thank you as much as them wanting a relationship out of what they've received. I think it's the same way with God, honestly. Like, in fact, the only reason I think this is because I'm pretty sure that that's what God is saying here. 
It's that, it's that God is related to us in such a way. He's shown us love in such a way, and that's his complaint. Is that he's shown them love in such a way, but they have not reciprocated by relating to him out of what it is that they've received from him. And because they haven't related to him out of the way that what they received from him, it's just become this religious thing. And he's tired of the way that they practice the religious thing because that's not even enough to snuff. And that's very dissatisfying for him. Over the years of trying to do ministry, we've given a lot of stuff. You have too with us now that we're, you know, with our members in the last few years become partners. You remember, um, well, there's so many opportunities to, there's so, gospel form is a great example. Over the years, so many people have been touched by this program. I'm so grateful. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that people have come and they've been touched and I'm grateful that we don't charge any people, anybody anything to, to come and to be a part of it and they get to come, they get to spit and they, and they get fed, you know, and, and other conferences will charge them 200 bucks to, to, to do it but we get to provide free, that's a joy, that's not, that's not, it's not like, oh, look at us, no, that's a joy, it really is, it's a joy. But out of the many thousands of people that have come, very few have said, now I want a relationship with you all or with you, any, any one of you as an individual person. You know, there's like Apostle Harriet, who's awesome. And there, like, you know, like a few other, I mean, there's a few other names that I can think of. Some, you know, some, you know, did, and then they moved away and like other things and there's, but what are you, what are we looking for? Are we looking just for, like, I'm, I'm serious now, just think about yourself, like, in the kind of, like when we do this, and it takes, I mean, hundreds, if not thousands of hours of effort to, to do one of these things, right? What are you looking for? You're looking for God just to touch people? Yes, you are looking for that. That is what we want. But does it not give you, is there not something else that would give you great joy? Is that someone receives and they stop, and they don't just say thank you, which is nice, and which you should do, which lots of people do, which is very nice. And they don't just say thank you, but they say, now I want a relationship. Now I want to be part of your life. Now I want to understand your church. Now I want to invite you to our church. Now we want to do life together. Now we want to honor one another and work together and pray together. And I'll pray for you and you'll pray for me. And, and, and we'll have a relationship in God, a love in God that, that works towards, you know, whatever. something, or, or just to have a relationship, just to relate. Is it not that? Is that not what we're looking for? I mean, you never, never necessarily have even thought of it that way. But, but when you do get that, isn't that the, the most rewarding thing that you could have? I've given away a lot of stuff that I realized served absolutely no purpose. And the reason it served no purpose was because there was no relationship created out of what was given. And it can range from, you know, giving somebody a meal to giving somebody, you know, years of care. And it just, there's such a wide spectrum. There, there, there's some people that, that we don't need to name names, you know, that you all know, many of you who have been here for a while, you know, you know, they're not here with us any longer, but God, the, the fondness, the, the memory, the relationship, it's still there. And anytime they come back and visit, it's just like, 
And there's others that, I mean, you don't ever hear from them. It's just like, I've just like, oh, all those years together, it's just like, oh, she dropped off a map. Like, it's not, I don't even know if they're dead or alive. <laughs> and, you know? And God's like that. I wonder how often we receive God's blessing, but then don't take the opportunity to grow in our relationship with him. I wonder how that makes him feel. I wonder how it makes him feel when you pray for a job and he gives you one, and then you just now consume yourself with your job. I wonder how often somebody prays for God to give them a husband or wife, and God gives them one, and then they just become consumed with their new marriage. I wonder how often somebody prays for children and God gives them one and that now that child is their idol. Like, I, I wonder if God feels a certain way when everything he does for us only creates a greater separation between us and him. And I wonder if, you see, God is so good, I think that he continues to bless us because that's his nature, but I wonder if in that kind of road, if his blessings are actually very harmful to us. With humans, it's even harder because it's, 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 it's like Lot's problem with Zor, right? God takes him out of Sodom and Gomorrah, he, puts him, he allows him to go to Zor, and Zor is an imperfect place. And because Zor is an imperfect place, Lot does not want relationship with Zohar. He's afraid to have relationship with Zohar because there's problems with Zohar. And so the alternative is for him to go live in a cave with his family. And everything bad starts to happen from there. The substitute, if you want relationship with people, very quickly you're gonna discover all their problems, or at least enough of their problems to make you ugh about them. Is there a single person in your life that you have a meaningful relationship with that you have not at one point in your life been like, oh God, why do I, like, like surely there are better people on the earth. Of course you've never thought that way about me, but I'm talking about all your other friends, all your other friends that you, you, know, that you don't like as much. Some of us are just charming and never offend anyone, right Bethel? No, okay, not you. All right. Well, I'll speak for myself then. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm the least liked person in this church, but that's okay. Have you ever, have you ever noticed this? If you've been in a romantic relationship, do you know like before you were together, you're like, oh, they're the greatest person ever. God, we've, God has created us to be. And then after you're like, oh God, surely, like, like, sh like, surely not. Like, you know, sh like, have I ever met him about broken protein? It's always like that. But it's always like that. Whenever someone invites you, gives you an opportunity to, to be more intimate with them, you discover all the reasons why you could potentially not want to be intimate with them. And in that place, you have a choice. You can either go judge them and get bitter and go sulk in your corner and be alone where you can open yourself up even more and realize that loneliness is what God was trying to save you in the, from in the first place and that they are just as broken as you are broken 
and you think you're having a tough time with them, just imagine how tough a time they're having with you. I mean, it's just, it's really, I mean, she, you think it's rough for you. It's really rough for them. Yeah, any clue what they're dealing with right now? Yikes. So rough. So rough. And yet, it's in that place that we find the greatest satisfaction. Running away from imperfect people is very easy. It's very easy to run away. Very easy to run away. It's very easy to run away because you've gotten bitter. It's very easy to run away because you're prideful. It's very easy to run away because you're judgmental. It's very easy to run away because you think you're better. It's easy to run away because you think that there's nobody better than you. And if you do that to people, you do that even more to God. If you relate to people in such a way that it's about what you get out of them rather than what you can give to them, you relate to God in the exact same way. And if you don't have a meaningful relationship with a human, pretty confident you'll have a meaningful relationship with God. Your relationship with God is you telling him what you want and him giving it to you. That's it. It's why it's so hard for you to give a testimony. Whenever anybody serves you, I want to encourage you to take it as an opportunity to develop a relationship with them. If somebody invites you over to their house for dinner, for instance, or out to a restaurant for dinner, yeah, that happens, right, from time to time, I would encourage you not to just go and eat dinner and then just leave. Why don't you sit down for a second and say, first of all, thank you for the meal. The second, why don't you ask them a question about themselves? Because maybe that's what they were hoping for. Maybe it wasn't about the food at all. Maybe it was just they wanted an opportunity to have a relationship with you. Esther rebuked me about that one point at one time. It, it was the other way around. It was where we were feeding someone else. And they were doing a great, great job of of wanting relationship and, and wanting to, to talk. And, and I was so busy trying to make sure they were happy with the food that I wasn't paying attention at all to the conversation they were trying to have. And I was just like, don't you see? They didn't care about the food. They wanted to talk. And I was like, oh, sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to feed them good food, you know? Like, that's not, because that's not at all meaningful. And when somebody gives you a birthday present, for instance, or present for anything else, or, or just, like, there's all sorts of opportunities, ways that this happens, you know? I, I, I wonder if, you should say thank you, of course. And you should also, on their birthday, think of them, of course, okay? But, the, but it's not tit for tat. Like, when somebody gives you a birthday present, they're not hoping to get a present on their birthday. Like, that's not what people are hoping for. Is it what you're hoping for? Is it, like, like, I, I want you to remember me on my birthday. No, it's not that. I, I hope. If it is that, we need to get you saved. It's not that. It's that they would love for you to take it as a sign that they care about you. And they would love for you to take it as a sign that, that it's an invitation to caring about them and to have 
a relationship that's deeper than the relationship that you had before. And it's not difficult to not just say thank you, but say, how did you think of this? Or like, why, why, why would you, you know, how, how did you think of this in relation to me? Or first of all, thank you so much for thinking of me, but the, just tell me about, you know, the process that, you know, and, and why and how and, 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 um, and uh, you know, this has reminded me, I, 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 even if it hadn't, you know, I wanted to, to whatever, you know, uh, uh, have afternoon tea with you, or see if we can get coffee sometime, and just talk, catch up. We haven't talked in a while. Like, like, do you, do you understand? Like, there's more than you can do than just say thanks. They could use it as an open door to 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 develop a relationship that's deeper than the relationship that you had before. Do you know? When someone does something for you, it's an opportunity for you to say, "Wow, how did you think of this?" Oh, they tell me about yourself. Like, why? It's an opportunity for you to to open a door there that 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 was closed before because there's just simply no opportunity. But now that they've done something for you, there's an opportunity for you to reciprocate, not in giving back to them, but in deepening the the friendship that you have with them. And I've made so many mistakes of this sort. I'm speaking to you not out of like, this is something Daniel does very well. This is something Daniel does very poorly. But only in retrospect, after a large number of years, I realize that it's not about, it's not about what you've given, at, like the stuff at all. It, it's, it's, that's not even what you want. What you want is not even the thank you letter. What you want is, is a relationship. Every missionary that we give to, we, I don't want their thank you letters. I, I don't mind getting them when we get them. I appreciate it. But what I want is, and some ministries send very good thank you letters, handwritten, custom card, whole thing. But I, what I wish they would do, what I wish they would do is say, what, and, and what is it that caused you to want to support us? Can we connect? That's what I wish. And I wish that I've done better over the years in taking advantage of these opportunities. When someone gave me something or thought of me in some way. I, I, I can't do it with everyone, it, it, you know, but, but just be more sensitive to when the Holy Spirit is prompting. Like, you, you can't do it over every pair of socks. Otherwise, it's just, if too many, like, then nobody's your friend. But, but, but do you know, to, to just, and then with God, most importantly with God. When God blesses you in some way, when he does something in our life, what he does all the time because he's just that good, I wonder what it is that he is hoping for from us. He, if God is giving you, it gives you a job, he's not hoping that you're going to give him a job in, in return. He's not even hoping for the money, the, the, the tithe that you would give to him out of your job. Is he hoping for the tithe? Is he sitting there and be like, oh, now they can tithe? Yes! Like, is that what God wants? Yes! Another tither! Is that what he's hoping for? Is that what he's hoping for? He's hoping for a deeper relationship with you as you walk out what this job means in the course of your life. Isn't it? And when he gives you a place to live, is, is, is God hoping for you to build him a house now? It's God like, you know, I, I really in need of a house. I, I, hope, I hope these people think of me when, when they have a house. And it's not at all. He's, he's, he's not hoping for that at all. He's hoping for you to just, just rejoice and have relationship. Oh, Lord, what a great place and, and what a great layout. And, oh, I get to have my, the sofa that I've always wanted. Thank you so much. And, and, and out of that, 
and out of that, to first of all, that it would it, that it would that it would give rise to a greater occasion for you to, to 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 give to him, of course, because that's what the passage is about. But more importantly, see, he's looking for the honor of father. He's not looking for the he's not looking for the the goats and the sheep and the cattle. He's he's looking for the honor that a son would give to his father. That's what he wants out of you and me, and we can offer it to him. We can offer it to him. The answer to feeling like your spiritual life is too works-oriented is not to do less works. It's to allow all the work that you do to be the premise and the foundation for building a relationship with others. Because that's the point. We don't work together to get things done as much as we work together to, to, to know one another. And that's hard. That it's hard to manage, it takes time, it, 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 all that stuff. But what I want to encourage you to understand is that it's not about working less, and it's not about, like, well, it just shouldn't be work-oriented. It's about learning about what other people value and trying to build a relationship with him on that, on that, on the, on those grounds, do you know? It would be best for you to start with God. I, I, I really mean it. Do, do not take God as the sort of person that's just standing in the park counting out soup every Saturday and if you, as long as you come, you get touched by him. Like, you, you can do that and then you go back to your, your life and your stuff but what he wants is a relationship with you and me. That's why he's blessed us. And with people... I really want to encourage you to, 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 to see this with people. Every single person that does something, anything for you, don't give them what they gave you in return. Somebody gives you five bucks, don't give it back to them. Give them friendship in return. Somebody gives you a ride, talk to them. Don't just talk to you and your friend. Thanks for offering the ride, it's cold. It's dark, it's lonely, it's rainy. You saved me from a lot. Okay, now tell me, how did you come to buy this car? <laughs> like, you know, like, not, I mean, I, I, I kid, but I don't, like, you know, but seriously, give them an opportunity to, to relate to you and just, like, like, you can even open up about yourself. You know I'm not, like, talking about yourself. I don't believe in talking about yourself all the time. But this, but, but if they're unwilling to talk about themselves, you should talk about yourself, do you know? Plan A is to ask them to talk about themselves. They don't want to talk about themselves. Talk about yourself. Yeah, that's a good plan. Because sometimes they don't like talking about themselves. And I give you permission, at least as far as myself is concerned, but all everybody else in the world, I give you permission on behalf of everybody. I give you permission. If you're trying to have a conversation with someone, they don't want to talk about themselves, you start talking about yourself. How was your day? It was okay. Well, let me tell you about how my day was. Like, you know, you don't want to talk about your day? Fine, I'll talk to you about my day. Because... But like in, in time, people open up. Plan A is to get them to talk about them. 
Plan B is talk about you until real intimacy develops, until you really understand each other, have insight about each other, and have just texture in the relationship. Those of you that are single, when you get married, if you pick someone to give a toast about you, and the greatest thing they have to say about you was, is something stupid, like we used to play video games together, I will choke you if I'm there. <laughs> yeah. Maybe after, maybe after your honeymoon, but it's coming. <laughs> because you had every opportunity over all these years to have good friends, and you chose not to because you didn't take advantage of the opportunity. Lot's fear is one that we all have, which is nobody wants to be friends with me, or I don't want to be friends with them, and it's just the silliest, 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 it's just silly, 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 silly. Stop being insecure. Everybody wants to be friends with you. And if they don't, it's their loss. It's true that some people have lives that are too full, and it's not like... It's, it's just bad. It's true that that happens sometimes, okay? But you will find friends and you will find intimacy if you go out there and you open yourself up to a wide range of people. You will. It's not that hard. Don't be like Lot. Don't be scared that of, of, of having relationships. So you go live in a cave by yourself. Have relationships. And don't settle for relationships that are shallow and meaningless. The type of relationships that are kind of like what God is saying here. I tell you to do this, you don't do it because you... Like, don't, don't settle for that. Do you know that you can know someone for many years and not have a relationship with them, right? Just think of that boss that you worked for for four years. It's very easy, and that's the natural course of life unless you do something about it, and you very much should. Just because you go to the same church doesn't mean you have a relationship. Just because you led a small group together does not mean you have a relationship, and just because, it, it doesn't, it doesn't, just because you spend time together doesn't mean you have a relationship. It actually requires intentional, intentional, it, like, it requires that you be intentional about it. I'm one of the worst people in the world at this, honestly. Like, I'm not, this is not one of those imitate me as I imitate Christ kind of days. This is go imitate, there's other people in this church that do it better. Like, there's, every time I'm with like Heidi, for instance, I'm just enamored. I mean, she's so good at building a relationship with everybody. It's unbelievable. I'm, I'm just like, wow, if I could just, when I grow up, can I be like you? Because I'm just, I'm very content to like not, you know, but then that's just, uh, that's my problem. Don't be like me. Be more like you. And many of you are better at this than I am. But be more than where you are. Like, like reach out, realize. I'm, I'm serious about this. Reduce your Christianity to these two things. Number one, be righteous for God's eyes. Number two, solve everybody else's loneliness problem. And if you manage to do that, you're, you're, you're going to do really well in God's eyes. Because it's what he considers to be a, a very good offering before him. It, he considers it to be a very good offering when you offer relationships to people that don't have it. So, relationship is not just about doing stuff that's fun together. It's not about like, you know, watching movies and going out to eat. Like, like that's, that, 
A deep relationship requires that you actually do something meaningful, useful, fruitful, productive together. So don't be content with, you know, this is my, you know, Chinatown boba group. Gosh, we're such great friends. Actually, deepest relationship comes out of, of, of stuff that, like being productive together. It's just that in the course of being productive together, you also have to try to build it. Do you know? When I was a kid, I always just thought that nobody wanted to be friends with me. I don't know how many of you can relate. But looking back on that, I realized that it's not true. It was just that I never tried. And like Lot, I was always either scared of rejection or judgmental about that they weren't good enough, like, or something, you know? But it just wasn't true. And I want to encourage you to, under, to come to the same understanding that it's just not how it is. But you do have to humble yourself and you do have to care and you do have to reach out. Um, we're going to start at some point in the near future here. I'm going to close um, here in a moment. We're going to start sometime in the near future here with having um, testimony time. Not every church service, but a good number of church services. Um, and uh, I want you to be really careful with sharing testimonies because it's very easy to share very shallow testimonies. Um, it's very easy to, to share testimonies that are just comedy routines. It's very easy to share testimonies that are um, just all about you. Uh, it's very easy to share really bad testimonies. And because I'm so scared of bad testimonies, I'm very reluctant to do like open mic time because it there's always there's always some people that like just move your heart and there's some people that just you're just like Lord just hit the mute button like so but we're going to open because to testimonies because I I think it's quite important that we that we learn that that relationship with God has texture and that's what testimonies provide they provide this under a deeper understanding of how God relates to people and I want us to build um um, a, uh, 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 an understanding here, not just around you know, uh, um, uh, uh, t- teaching-like things, you know, this is what the Bible says, let's go do it, but around the way that God actually relates to, to various people's lives, you know, the ones that are, that are here uh, in front of you. So we're going to start doing that soon. I want you to start thinking about things that you can share as testimonies because um, we're going to, uh, you know, in order for there to be testimony time, somebody has to be willing to give one um, and, uh, uh, and, and that can be a little bit um, challenging. But I want you to start thinking because I, I want to encourage you to, 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 to come forward and share out of your walk with God. But I want to challenge you to do it in such a way that it's, it's, it's really meaningful. And that doesn't mean that the, the, the last thing I want anyone to think is that they have to perform and they have to write something, like something that's like, you know, like with a lot of vocabulary words and, and things like that. That's not me. It just has to be really real to you, you know? And... Um, and because we, I, I want to really focus on this as a way for us, to, for, us to, for us to grow with God. But what really burdens my heart, I think, is how easy it is for, um, for, for God. As I said, this and everything else is, you know, both dimensions with God and with people. But what burdens my heart, I think, is that God can do so much for us so often over so many years. And yet at the end of it, we can know him so little. And like that's not good for him. That's not what he wants. And it's not fulfilling for you. It's not fulfilling for you just to take things from God's hand and, and not 
realized that what he was hoping for is to be a father to a son and to be a master to a servant. He's hoping for something more than just giving you something and then you give him a tenth of it in return. We don't want that to be the reality in this church. All right? So if you, somebody gives you a meal, you know what to do. If somebody gives you a car ride, you know what to do. If somebody gives you something for your birthday, you know what to do. And if somebody invites you to go on a retreat, you go. I'm just kidding. If you want to, it's voluntary. <laughs> it's, but, but, but I really pray for real intimacy. And I pray for real, for every single person here. I, I, for you, I, I pray, whether you're a member or not a member, I, I pray that there would be, both pe- with people and with God, just a sense of real depth and real knowing, real insight in your life and that you would not be content to give or to receive for something in return that is not closeness with others. All right, you stand. Let's pray together. And then we'll um, ask our worship team to come up. Father, we want to give you thanks today for who you are to us. And we pray, Lord, that who you are to us would actually change in time and increase. I pray, God, that we would not treat you like the soup kitchen that we go to get a meal every week. We would not treat you like the welfare check that we cash every month. But that we would realize that you want something deeper out of us. And that it would be our great joy, not a burden at all, but a great joy to relate to you. Not just to serve you, not just to do things that we think are serving you that are actually not, but to relate to you and also to all the others in the world that you've given to us in the same way. Father, I also, as we're here today, want to pray for just redemption over our relationships. There's so many of us that don't have a great relationship with our parents because we just judge them. We think that they're not spiritual enough. or something else. And I just ask God for humility and redemption to come over us. That we would learn to honor those that should be honored. To those that have invested in us and raised us, changed our diapers and put us to sleep. I pray God for a real redemption over friendships. over siblings. Father, I pray for healing. 
for relationships that did not work out well. For people that have left us or betrayed us or anything, God, that we've suffered. We've tried to open our heart to others. I pray for healing, God, for those who experienced just being left behind by a friend or someone we used to be close with because they moved on to a different season of life or different friends or they got married or had kids or found different friends and I want to pray, Lord, for you to help us. Not try to disguise the loneliness that we have. Lord, I know that you see us every time we're by ourselves and we pull out our phone because we want people to think that we have relationships and there's somebody who wants to talk to us put in our AirPods because I just want to pretend to be busy or occupied so that we don't have to be vulnerable to the fact that we actually feel alone. Father, I pray that we would have such a relationship with you that we would never actually feel alone at all. And that we would realize that every time we do feel alone, it's because of how shallow our relationship with you has been. Because of the way that we've treated you, we don't feel your presence with us. Because of the way that we've treated you, we feel like we have to pull out our phone and pretend to text to someone. And of course, that's not the life that you have in mind for us. I thank you, God, that you are always there, not in a theoretical, doctrinal sense, but you've actually made it possible for us to be intimate with you in every moment of the day, right now as we stand here at work when we're in front of our computer, on the subway when we don't know anybody around us, at the new town when we have no friends. That it's just, you've created a world in which we never need to be alone because you bore that loneliness for us on the cross. You bore that separation for us so we would not have to be separated from you any moment of this life or in all of eternity. We would never never have to be away from you. And I pray, God, for the humility to be vulnerable in this moment. For those of us that feel loneliness to be able to be real about it.
and to be able to walk out of this place today with the grace to be intentional about relationship building, about giving to others the relationship that we want, and about and relating to, to people in a way that lets them be close to us while feeling safe. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit in this room. And I just ask, God, that you would minister to us out of our weakness, and that you would also put something in us that understands the opportunity that we have to minister to others and to love them and save them from being alone. For every person in this room that's looking for friends, who are truly friends, friends that are closer than brothers, I just ask God that you would open that door now in Jesus' name. I pray, Lord, for pure relationships that are not polluted by romantic, sexual nonsense, intimacy that is not fearful of the sins and weaknesses and imperfections that we find in everyone. Marriages that are strong, friendships that do not break. Sisterhood and brotherhood and siblinghood. I pray that you would open our eyes to the people around us even and especially perhaps the people outside of this church, the ones that we see at work or at the grocery store, in the classroom, in the lab, somewhere else, who have it so much worse than we do because they don't have you at all. And I pray, Lord, that even this month, maybe even this week, oh, my faith is being stretched. Okay, let's say this week, that every single person in this room will be able to offer a company to someone who's alone. And just because we know, Lord, we, we need these little things to teach us. Father, I'm going to pray now for divine, a divine appointment for every single person here to talk to somebody on the subway, at the grocery store, at the office, in a classroom who's sitting by themselves to, to have the courage to smile and to reach out and to offer someone a coffee or a handshake or a ride or someone to walk with or someone to eat with at lunch. That when we see somebody busily typing away on their laptop that we would not go, oh wow, that person's so busy, but that we would see, oh wow, that person is so starved of relationship. That when someone even pretends that they don't want relationship, that we would not be discouraged 
because we realize, God, that they may be wounded and broken and may be a little bit harder to reach, but that means all the more that it's necessary and important for us to reach them. <coughs> Father, I pray for the lost and for the broken in our generation, on our campuses, in our companies. I pray for those that are looking for intimacy anywhere they can find it. Those that have decided to pretend to be popular or to be filled when they're totally empty. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see through their disguise and to meet them where they are. And I pray, Lord, that we would have the opportunity to bring them into a wonderful, saving, glorious intimacy with you. Pray for the harvest, a harvest of lonely souls out there in this world with their iPhones and their AirPods and their Netflix and their NFL games to their alcohol, the people they sleep with to deal with the fact that they feel totally alone. Help. Help. Help, Lord. I thank you that your heart is so big and your kindness is so just overwhelming. Help. Help us. Help us. Help us. Help us, God. In Jesus' name.